House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. Welcoming John Kerner. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks for having me back. It's nice to hear your voice again. Yeah, yeah. You were on uh, quite a while ago with uh, Why the CIA Killed JFK and uh, Malcolm X. That was an interesting show. Uh, one of the better ones, too, I've, I've had on the JFK, and we've had everyone from Roger Stone to you name it. Um, but I enjoyed that one the best, one of the best. I appreciate that. You know, it, was, uh, it was a good discussion. You know, there's so much to talk about with uh, the assassination. Of course, it was 55 years ago on Thanksgiving. So yeah, pretty weird. Nation marked that. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's it's kind of crazy because um, there there's just been so many theories and so much talk and so many so many books and and it's just crazy. One thing I will say I noticed uh, about yourself is that um, you're kind of out of it as far as the group that fights a lot. <laughs> like, you know, because uh, I have to be part of all that social media, and when you get in the JFK groups, you know, like Roger Stone's calling Max Holland a liar and and uh, threatening Joan Mellon, don't you you'd be healthier if you didn't show up at this, this year's? Like, I mean, they get really, really into this. And that, oh, yeah. And I'm thinking... Uh, you're one that doesn't really get into that. Yeah, I try to stay above the fray, you know, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just stick with my own research. And I, I feel like my my new book about John Kennedy Jr. is, I think, kind of an extension of um, some of the theories about President Kennedy. Right, and I, I found that to be really interesting. It caught me right away. I'm surprised no one else has brought this up. I'm surprised it hasn't been talked about, and it's it's been 20 years, you know. It's like, um, so you did Exploding the Truth, and that's the JFK Jr. assassination. Um, so tell me, um, what brought you into the JFK Jr. part of it? Well, I mean, a lot of different things. I, as, an, and as a teacher of U.S. history, as a professor of U.S. history, I mean, I've always been interested in conspiracies and the Kennedy family. And just looking at the way the agency has targeted his family, and you look at this in the book, Robert Kennedy, um, President Kennedy, even even Teddy Kennedy, uh, it, there's been a, a number of things that they've done to target the family. And I just felt that it just would make sense to me that there would be the same type of approach and anger towards the only surviving son, President Kennedy. And if you look at his death, all the things that we assume about it are just not even true. I mean, ask anyone about JFK Jr.'s death, and they'll say, well, you know, the weather was bad that night, or he crashed the plane because his leg was hurting him, or maybe the, you know, the, the plane, was he was suffering from spatial disorientation, it was all his fault. And there was no one that said anything else different. No witnesses that could corroborate in a different story. All those things aren't even true. But just the most basic looking at the facts, we can easily just prove that, that this was not an accident. 
Well, you know, that, that, that's what I mean. That's why I'm so surprised because, you know, things, uh, especially in the last couple of years, I mean, it's really blown up with conspiracy and, and theories. And, and, you know, I, I'm surprised Hillary didn't do it, you know, uh, it, mm-hmm. or something. You know what I mean? There's just so much conspiracy out there now that um, yeah. right. I, I just don't know. I'm surprised that this has been one that's quiet all along. Because I think when I look back on things, when I see JFK Jr., I think he was kind of the perfect person to be a candidate for president, for Senate. Um, I mean, he seemed to have it all, the name, the looks. He seemed smart. Um, I, he would have been a perfect candidate, especially from what we've been getting the last 20 years, you know. I couldn't agree with you more, and I think that's why we should remember him and not forget about him, because he he's the kind of person, his example is a person that we're missing today and that could bring our polarized country together, just remembering him. And I think it's such a shame that he had to leave us so soon. Uh, if he, he was thinking about, in fact, planning for running for governor of New York in 2002, and that was his, his path to the White House. So he had given up the idea of running for Senate, and I think that's important to mention, too, because there's this theory you mentioned, the Clintons may have killed him. Nothing right, further yeah. from the truth, yeah. <laughs> he was not going to be not killed by the Clintons. Yeah. <laughs> they were very close. He was not going to run for Senate. In fact, JFK Jr. and his magazine, George, uh, never did anything to criticize President Clinton. He even sent President Clinton a fax to the White House that said, um, when I was a kid, I actually could fit under the desk, so I know that an intern could not fit under the desk. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> he, he was a big supporter of President Clinton, so yeah, yeah. we can rule them out. Well, yeah, it just, you know, it just seemed like that last year, uh, you know, the, the terrible Vegas shooting, and then there's, like, rumors she was on the fourth floor, and she she programmed him and then i'm just i was just getting so it got to where the last six months we were doing on the show every day i'd say what did hillary do it didn't matter what we were talking about because it just it kind of gets a little bit silly and i don't know you know i don't know if people realize i'm certainly not saying that she's a a, an angel but you know it just it kind of gets a bit much you know it does get to be a bit much And, and you talk about conspiracy theories and you mentioned why has no one done this before? Well, I think a couple of different reasons. I mean, one is that it did take a number of years for people to start questioning the JFK assassination, especially when witnesses were dying that had talked about it. Even uh, Nina Rhodes Hughes, you might remember, she came out a few years ago and she said that she saw a, a, another gunman at the Robert Kennedy assassination and she kept her mouth shut for years because she wouldn't be killed. So I think the same thing can be said for JFK Jr.'s assassination. There are many witnesses to this horrible event that have kept quiet, too. And it is, it's scary for people to talk about these things. The other thing is, if you start talking about conspiracies, you can be labeled a nut. But Jesse Ventura said, if people say that to you, he, well, you can respond to them, have you studied the facts? There are some legitimate cases where you need to answer some serious questions that, in this case with JFK Jr.'s death, we need to question the official version of events. There are some serious things that need to be answered. Yeah, for sure. And and, and I personally, I don't think 
there's nothing wrong with conspiracy. There's nothing wrong with, uh, well, there's wrong with doing it, but with talking about conspiracy or a plan. It's just really someone planning to uh, do something right. that's evil and all that. It's just, I think what's happened is it's become an art with uh, people like, uh, um, you know, um, Jeez, Alex Jones, you know, right? Where it becomes so far, you know, like you know, so, so far fetched. Yeah, yeah the Pizza Gate conspiracy, things like that. Yeah, Just stupid. It stuff. starts to get really kind of. This is really, really bad. Um, but that I think that's the problem because that gets the attention. Then all of a sudden, if you come up with anything in between there, uh, people will roll their eyes. You know. So let me give you an example. Uh, look at what's going on in Saudi Arabia. I mean, their government, according to our CIA, conspired to kill a journalist. So, I mean, it happens in modern times. There are conspiracies. President Lincoln was killed by a conspiracy. I mean, it, these things do happen. But, again, you have to follow the facts. That's the thing. Well, that's a problem lately. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that is a key problem, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of, again, that's something else, you know. Um, it's crazy. Well, so what – now – now, um, so the official ruling on this was, was the spatial disorientation, you know, descending mm -hmm. over water at night and his lack of flying experience is kind of, I think, what they're sort of swaying toward is what, why he, he got into the trouble with the plane and crashed. What was your answer to that? Right, we can pretty easily say all those things are wrong with just some basic facts. I mean, one thing, let's go with his flying experience. The NTSB and the, F and the FAA and the media investigated his flying record, and I found this out, too, that he had flown that, that same flight from New Jersey to Hyannisport 17 times without a flight instructor and five times at night. He also passed an instrument test on April 22nd, 1998, with a hood on. He had this test where the plane was crashing, and he recovered the aircraft with a hood on. So he was given the conditions of spatial disorientation and recovered the aircraft with expert precision. You know, he was autopilot. He knew how to do that flight. He did it five times, at night and 17 times without a flight instructor. So he knew what he was doing. Ralph Howard and Harold Anderson, his two flight instructors, both said he was a very good pilot. Now, there's still the other point here, the weather that night. The FAA hired a specialist named Edward Meyer. He was in LaGuardia Airport, and he, he studied the weather that night, and he concluded that the weather was fine. There was nothing could cause spatial disorientation. In fact, many people were walking the beaches that night, fishing and having a good time because it was such a nice, warm July evening. So the weather was fine. He was a great pilot. And the third thing, we can kind of put the final nail in the coffin here of this idea that he was somehow disoriented, is this. It's such a key thing to mention. So he takes off 8.39 p.m. And one hour into the flight, at 9.39 p.m., he calls into air traffic control at Mother's Vineyard Airport and tells him he's about to land the aircraft. And so if anything was wrong with him or the aircraft, he would have said so then. He did not say that. He said he's going to drop off, learn to set. And then one minute later, there was an explosion. And three people on the ground witnessed this. So we have all these different factors that can lead us to conclude that there was nothing 
wrong with him or the aircraft. Well, now, so what kind of an explosion are we talking about? Are we talking about um, uh, an actual man-made bomb or something, or are we talking something um, something happened with the motor, the engine? Now, what people witnessed was a flash of light and a deafening sound, so we're talking about a massive explosion. Now, Kennedy was very meticulous with his aircraft. It was a new aircraft, Pepper Saratoga, state-of-the-art. He checked it obsessively. So the chance that anything was wrong with it is very slim to none. It was state-of-the-art aircraft, very new. He looked at every nut and bolt according to all his flight instructors. He checked for every takeoff. So likelihood of it being a mechanical defect is very, very slim. So we also know that three people on the ground witnessed this explosion. And interesting to mention this too, um, just this past week, I got an email from a person and she said that she's kept quiet over the years. She's heard me on coast to coast and she said she emailed me. She's worried about her, her safety and she kept quiet because she was there that evening walking the beach and she saw the same thing the other three people saw. Her first name, and last I'm not going to get her name's Vicky. I'm going to give her last name but for her own safety. So at least four people saw this explosion, this flash of light. Wow. Uh, so now, um, now on the plane with him was uh, his wife Carolyn Bissett and uh, sister-in-law Lauren Bissett. Um, right. Now. So do you think, it, okay, the explosion was there. Was it aimed at getting, uh, I guess obviously you're believing that it was aimed at getting John and it didn't matter about the other two ladies for whoever was trying to do this? Right. Well, it would take out his chance for having a, an heir too. I mean, if you're taking out his wife as well, both of them are dead especially if she's pregnant and you have the entire family for the, the son and the, and the wife dead. We also mention as well that there is a massive blast radius here too. So there's 17 nautical miles of, de of debris that's found, even things on land like luggage and sneakers indicate the breaching of the cabin. So it seems like there was as people were witnessing on the ground this massive explosion. So now, with that, it also it took them a few days to find the bodies, didn't it? It's also unusual, too. That brings us to the idea of the cover-up here. So that area is just about 100 feet of water, and I've talked to some people that have lived there. The water is not very deep. It's relatively clear. It's good for fishing. So they know exactly, talking about the Coast Guard and the Navy and the, and the CIA, the three agencies that were involved with recovery, CIA, Coast Guard, Navy, they know exactly where his plane dropped off of radar. And the water is not very deep. But given those two factors, it took them five days to recover the bodies. And no one was allowed in during that time. The Kennedy family was not allowed in or the media for five days. And when the bodies were recovered, it was unusual because they were cremated. There was no open casket during the funeral, and they were cremated and buried at sea. So there was no chain of evidence looking at what the bodies and how they were recovered. The autopsy for JFK Jr. actually has 
dotted lines across his midsection as if his body was blasted into two pieces. So we have that being strange in terms of the recovery effort. Now, now, did people know that he was going to be taking that flight that night? Like, was this something that was planned and, and there would be enough people that knew about it? To Absolutely. For one key reason yeah. is because Roy Kennedy was getting married that weekend in Hyannisport. It was one of the biggest events of the social season. So all the, all the Kennedy family was heading there that night. So it was well known he'd be heading up there that night to join them on that weekend. And ironically enough, three years before was Chappaquiddick when they had another Kennedy family party that in a disaster for Ted Kennedy. So it was, it was uh, that weekend in 1969, a tragedy struck the Kennedy family too. Wow, you know, the Kennedy curse, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You know. It just keeps going on, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. Another thing, yeah, yeah. it just, just keeps going. I mean, Ted Kennedy, too, I mentioned this in the book, he almost died in an airplane crash in June 1964. So it just, just, like I just said, it's just a series of strange things that happen. And we can mention, too, this brings to mind the crash itself. If you had to kind of say, well, what's your best evidence that there is conspiracy? I'd probably say this one right here. So Papa Saratoga had a rescue beacon. And steady air rescue beacon. So emerging locator beacon, it goes off when the plane crashes, and it, and it stays on for seven days. It's this high-pitched, shrill sound. You can't mistake it. So ABC News with Peter Jennings on July 17th, they report that at 2.15 a.m., the Coast Guard and the Navy are closing in on this rescue beacon at 2.15 a.m. on July 17th. They found the pepper Saratoga. That's what they report. And then something just kind of blows your mind happens. The Navy tells ABC News and NBC News that it's not the pepper Saratoga. It's, in fact, a crashed Navy military aircraft. Now, just let that sink in for a second. They're saying, well, no, we have not found the Pepper of Saratoga's rescue. We, we have found one of our own Navy aircraft. And then for some reason, ABC News and NBC News just let the story go. Because not AFK Jr.'s plane, they don't ask some pretty obvious questions. What do you think they should ask at this point in time? What, do you, what would be the obvious questions? Like, well, what was, what was that <laughs> plane doing out there? <laughs> right, yeah. And, and right, what was that plane? Yeah. Yeah, like uh, you'd start to kind of go, well, who who was on that plane? What was that plane there? What was its purpose? And how did it, yeah. you know, there's a lot of questions you could go. Right, I mean, where is the body from that? Because if, if there is a Navy aircraft emitting another rescue beacon, that means it crashed. And there is, who's the pilot? He eject? Is he dead? We notified. Where is the wreckage for that? None of these questions were asked by anyone in the media. Just kind of let that explanation go, this excuse. So then you got to ask some more questions. Uh, if there is an actual naval aircraft in the waters there, did it collide with JFK's plane deliberately, accidentally? Is that what caused the explosion? Is it an accident? I mean, there are so many things that could have been questioned there that just kind of get let go because it wasn't JFK's plane. 
So if it's not another naval wreckage, because think about that. If there's another aircraft there, they have to with the family, they have to be covered up. They have to evacuate the wreckage. Then it's hard to do. So it's probably not that. It's probably they actually did find Piper Saratoga at 2.15 a.m. Think about it. I just mentioned it. It's, it, they know where the plane left the radar. The water is very shallow. It wouldn't take long to find them. So it, it makes sense they'd find it about that time, about seven hours later. So what the Navy did there and the Coast Guard, they lied for some reason. Yes, you ask the question, why would they lie? Well, to give themselves some more time to make it look like an accident, not an explosion. So that lie about their own aircraft is very strange. Make this even more strange, you can't confuse those two beacons. A rescue beacon for the Saratoga sounds, like I said, this high-pitched, shrill sound. A rescue beacon for a naval aircraft is like a foghorn. They're way different. You can't confuse them. So all this is very strange, that lie that they made at 2.15 a.m. It didn't make any sense. So so, so here we have it. Um, now, who would be behind it? Then you have to ask that question, too, because you have here obvious evidence of a cover-up, an explosion, an official report that doesn't make any sense. So then you have to ask the question, who would want to kill JFK Jr.? Well, we just ruled out the Clintons. It's not going to be them. And you have to leave, you're left with the, I think, obvious conclusion it must be the, the CIA. That agency has made it their business to target this family. And just this past year, last year, you might have heard the news that Sirhan Sirhan was visited by Robert Kennedy's son, Robert Kennedy Jr., yeah. and he came to the conclusion that the agency killed his father. So they've done this before. They did this with President Kennedy. And I think once we get to 1999, JFK Jr. is, at this point in time, he's, he's going to run for governor, for the White House, is going to expose the truth of his father's assassination. So he becomes a threat, too. So now, uh, you know, what comes to mind to me is quite often, it's funny how this is, that um, whenever um, there's some conspiracy or these problems or these deaths and murders, it's always sort of blamed on a, um, a Democrat, like Clinton or something, but yet when it right. goes the other way, it just goes to CIA. Now, now instead of being biased, could it just be that someone like George Bush, who, who was part of the CIA, was just involved and thought of himself as a CIA rather than presidential candidate? Well, then you have to go back and talk about Bush's role in the agency and JFK's J.K. Jr.'s own doubts about the official version of events. So Meg Azioni is interesting to talk about here. This is J.K. Jr.'s high school girlfriend, and she writes a book about her, her, her relationship and friendship with this young man in the 1970s. And she talks about in the book how, as a young man, J.K. Jr. was starting to question the official version of events of his father's death. And it spends the next, you know, about, you know, 15, 20 years kind of on his own doing his own investigation. And he concludes that it's likely that the agency killed his father, like we concluded, you know, and the people concluded too. 
Uh, yeah. It, so what kind of relationship did uh, Kennedy Jr. have with someone like uh, George Bush? Well, the relationship was kind of tense. I mean, when JFK Jr. died, there, the Bush family was at a place called the Bohemian Grove in California. They couldn't be found for several days. His press secretary couldn't, couldn't reveal where he was. So he refused to give any comment about JFK Jr.'s death. And it was, again, I think very strange he chose that time to um, decide to disappear from the public. He could have offered some condolences to the family, and instead he decided to hide for several days at the Bohemian Grove. Both Bushes dead. So do you feel there was some sort of a, th a threat that they felt with, uh, with Kennedy Jr. then? Do you think that it's sort of not only a dislike, but some, some sort of threat of some sort? to actually kill someone like that? Well, I think you have to understand, I think, the hatred that this agency has toward the Kennedy family. It goes back so far in U.S. history, and it really begins with the Bay of Pigs invasion. And at that point in time, when JFK refuses to provide air support to the Cuban invaders, they feel that he is soft on communism, and they start to sabotage the Peace Corps as a result. In fact, to this very day, you, you can't join the Peace Corps if you've ever been in the agency. It's on their website. In fact, the Bay of Pigs invasion was named Operation Zapata, which is after the name of George Bush's oil company, and the two ships were named Houston and Barbara. So he was part of the planning of the Bay of Pigs invasion, George H.W. Bush, and they go forward in time in the summer of 1962 when JFK is taking power away from the agency and giving it to the military. There's peace in Laos. We talked about that in another show we did. There's anger there that is directed against him. So it goes very far back. Yeah, there's, there's quite a bit of um, uh, scuttle or talk about uh, George Bush being part of the JFK assassination as well. Um, I don't know how much proof or what ties him to it other than, I guess, him being in the area. Well, there are two things that we can tie him to the to the assassination with, two very specific things. Uh, Jim Garrison uncovered some important evidence that he was arrested when he left the Dale Tex building and taken to Dale's police headquarters and then let go, taken back to Dealey Plaza. So he definitely was there. And we also can tie him to a very specific person that was in the plaza, too. Now, when the assassination takes place, after it's over, the people descend in, into chaos. They run up the hill looking for the second gunman in the grassy knoll. But these two men decide to sit down on the curb on Elm Street. One has been nicknamed Umbrella Man. Another was nicknamed Dark Complected Man. And they sit down and just say nothing to each other get up and walk away. And they probably have walkie-talkies in their back pockets. These are the last two people that JFK saw in his life. The, the one, J, the umbrella man, oh, he pumped the umbrella and twirled it when JFK got throat shot. And Dr. Complected Man rose his arm into the air when JFK got his throat shot. 
So dark-complected man has been identified by researchers, including Jim Morris, as being a guy named Orlando Bosch. And Orlando Bosch was an agent of the CIA. And this man was a Cuban who was part of the Bay of Pigs invasion, who was hired by President, at that point in time, CIA agent George H.W. Bush. And this man, all throughout his career, is helped by George H.W. Bush in many different things. He becomes a terrorist. He becomes an agent, an assassin in the agency. Bush gives him extradition rights to go to hide in different countries and avoid prosecution. He does many things under the agency when Bush is director of the agency in the 1970s. And that man was right there in Dealey Plaza, and Bush hides him many times throughout his life. Um, now, so it, was there any anybody else in uh, JFK Jr.'s life or world that he would have had to worry about? Well, when we get to the end of his life, he is positioning himself to do a couple different things that come time to your question. So he wants to make it clear to his family and friends he's going to sell the magazine and then use the final part of the magazine's life to do an investigation into the JFK assassination. And the other thing he's going to do, once the magazine is sold and that final part of the purpose of the magazine is, is served, then he's going to run for governor of New York and then for president of the United States. So this would position himself against, of course, George W. Bush. And those two things, I think, kind of coalesce together at the end of his life. Huh. And and so, and George Magazine, the problem he had with uh, Michael Berman, that wouldn't be anything? Well, I think it's kind of a minor thing. Even, you know, we mentioned kind of the idea that, um, you know, the dead end here is the Israeli connection to the assassination Right. Uh, it's Dr. Bean, you know, he talks about that in his magazine, too. So there are motives of, other, of others, you know, that you can tie in there as well. But, again, if you just kind of reverse engineer this, which is what I like to do, and you're like, look, like what Sherlock Holmes will look at this, where you have certain conclusions you can make, you go backwards, from, and you must have someone that won't want to kill him. So if the crime scene doesn't make any sense, if he wasn't suffering from disorientation, if the weather was good, if there was an explosion, if they're lying to the public about the rescue beacon, if all these things are true, which they are, then there must be someone there that wanted to do all these things. So what do you think um, people will find most uh, shocking when they read the book? The, the part about the rescue beacon just shocks me. Because right there you have evidence of a conspiracy. Because if you think about that logically, you can't confuse those two beacons. The Navy knows they're rescue beacons. They're not like an aircraft that's just from a civilian. So if they're telling the public, which they initially did, we found the Pepper Saratoga, and then they tell this to Peter Jennings and ABC News and also NBC News, they found the aircraft, which they would have found because, as I said, it's 100 feet of water, and they know where the aircraft went down. It takes five days to recover an aircraft. If they lie to the public, the Navy lied to the public and the Coast Guard, and 
we know for a fact that they could not have covered this up because where is the wreckage? Where is the dead pilot? Then we can conclude that there's a conspiracy. And that, I think, is what's the most shocking here. And for that point forward, no questions were asked. What makes you want that aircraft on? Where's the wreckage? Where's the pilot? And all these different things were never questioned by the media. And we're still asking questions 20 years later. They don't have the answers to. So what do you what do you hope happens moving forward with the information and now your new book? Like, what, what are you hoping that will, will come out of this? Well, what my main hope is, once we get to we're going to be told that his leg was hurting it. Let's go through that, first of all. On, on the day before the accident, on July 15th, Thursday morning, he has the cast removed from his leg. He goes to the entire Thursday, works out, goes to the Yankees game, leg is fine. Goes to the whole Friday afternoon, too. Works out again. Nothing wrong with the leg. He stops into a store to get some water to, for the flights. The, the store tenant asks him, how's the leg doing? He says, it feels fine. He takes off from the aircraft with the pedals. No problem. Our flight, nothing. No incident. So we'll, we'll be told next summer his leg was hurting him. Not the case. We'll be told next summer he was a bad pilot. Not the case either. He flew that flight 17 times without an instructor, five times at night. We'll be told that, he, that there was no evidence of an explosion. That's not true either. So my hope is this book, you can use this as a tool for the truth when you're told all these lies next summer. You can use this to show everyone around you that this is what really happened and not those misinformation, those lies. Yeah, pretty pretty interesting case. How, how do you find the response for it, for, for your book and for um, JFK um, theorists, I'll say? It's been very good. A few people have been detractors, but then they've only been detracting based on misinformation. I mean, one man had called up one of the shows I was on, and he was claiming that JFK was some kind of wild pilot that took risks and things. And I tried to explain to him that's just not the case. He was meticulous. He had 700 hours of flight time. I mean, if you just look at the facts of the case, just then you can follow the logic of it. And I mentioned as well, it was interesting to me and revealing that this lady emailed me just last week. She said she heard me on coast. And she's been concerned about her safety. She was there that night walking the beaches. She said she saw exactly what these other three witnesses saw, but she was scared for her life. She kept herself quiet because we know what happened to other witnesses. The JFK assassination, they were scared for their lives. Many of them died. So, again, her, her first name is Vicky, like I said, last name. But I'm sure the witnesses are out there, too. So it, it, it's it's this evidence that there's more out there. there. There's a climate of fear around this, and they want it to be taken away from them. They shouldn't be afraid anymore with the truth. Yeah, it's a tough one to do, but, you know, it's tough to... Uh, uh, there was so much to do with uh, uh, assassination and killing, and uh, especially around the Kennedys. So uh, <laughs> it's not so easy to forget. Um Man, I just don't, I don't know what to say. So uh, now the books can be found anywhere. Um, your book is out in uh, all major bookstores, I imagine, Amazon and all that, and we'll have it on our site. 
Um, now, one thing I noticed too, hey, you also have um, a paranormal side. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> so, so what? Yeah, that surprised me. Not so much that you could do both, but it's just I, I don't come across that too often. So, you did a book called Haunted Rochester, and um, you do a paranormal walk or something. Uh, so, what exactly? What's your interest in paranormal? Well, again, I also, do, like you said, I do these walking tours in the Buffalo area. We do them in um, Buffalo, Lockport, Hamburg, where I grew up, in western New York. And they cover the broad range of the paranormal. You know, things like folklore, Native American legends, uh, vampire stories, ghost stories, folk, uh, you know, folklore, things that are unusual, UFO reports anything that covers the broad range of the paranormal. So that kind of history interests me, the stuff that's the unexplained side of the world, the odd things. And these walks kind of bring them together. Western New York has a very rich um, variety of things that I talk about on, on these walks. And I've been doing them for about seven years now. And some are based off my own books, uh, all research that I've conducted. And they're a lot of fun. You know, they're we do them every September and October, and the website is paranormalwalks.com. What's the most shocking paranormal thing you've had happen? You run across a, a ghost or something? Or well, this uh, this one story kind of got me. There was this this one building that had this legend of little girl ghosts, and I was talking to the staff there. And this one skeptic said that um, she heard the legend too, heard the stories, but wanted absolute proof that they existed. So she she walked up to the attic, made sure no one was, was in the building, locked the attic door, shut off the lights, put a chair down in the middle of the attic. And she said, if you girls are here, I want some absolute proof that you're here. So all of a sudden, she feels these cold little fingers forcing her eyes open. <laughs> so it's like with little kids when you're asleep, if you're a parent, they'll wake you up by forcing up your eyelids. And these little girls did that to her. And uh, she's now no longer a skeptic. Well, no, I, I, would, <laughs> I would guess not. <laughs> wow. Well, wow, that's quite that's quite the the jump. Do you plan on continuing with that, or or keeping the paranormal walking going and and uh, doing more books, maybe? Oh yeah, this is you know my life's calling. I really enjoy this sort of stuff. My you know my day job is of course teaching social sciences, but uh, this is what uh, the fun side of the of my life. Writing the books, doing the ghost walks, the paranormal walks, and you know we didn't just in, in the fall, but they uh, I do. Yeah, they change every year. We do add new stories and, and, and sites, and and we it keeps it interesting for me anyway that we keep adding things in. Wow. So have you ever uh, taken a psychic or gone in around where JFK Jr. crashed? That's not a bad idea. Um, speaking of that, uh, I could mention, too, that I did have uh, a psychic contact me about the event oh, yeah. and yeah and she had mentioned a couple different things that were probably I was saying 
and she asked not to have her name revealed or too much information about it, but she was saying that uh, the things I was mentioning were lining up with what he had understood about the area, too. And I could tell you her name and all the details have gone off the air. But, uh, yeah, she, she was, again, when I went on coast, I got a lot of positive feedback, including her. And, um, again, it just seems like people are, are waiting to, to have this come out now. They've, they've been dying to have someone kind of bring this to the lights because this is the first book ever done about this. And and it's time for people to be able to talk about this and feel comfortable revealing what they know about it. Well, what do you think is going to happen, or what what do you think would happen? How would people react if they found some some proof and they found out who was behind it? I think it would take a large support from the Kennedy family to get that going, and I have faith because. I mentioned this, it's such an interesting thing to point out that Robert Kennedy's son, he visited Sirhan Sirhan, RFK's, one of RFK's assassins, and he has concluded the agency killed his father. And, so it, and it was even, I mentioned the news very much even. So if he's willing to understand the agency killed his father, and there's questions that need to be raised about his, his you know, his nephew's, would be his nephew, or his cousin actually, his cousin's uh, death, we're, you know, we really need to have some hope that that, that could happen. People can insist on the truth investigation. Now, so when you say the, the the CIA, do you think that they've continued to keep this same sort of system within themselves? And I and I mean, like in the in the sixties, there was tons of assassinations and and covert work going on, Cold War. And uh, now, so we've gone up into the 90s, and we're talking about Junior now, and and their connection with his death. So in that 30 years, do they just sort of um, keep it going sort of within themselves? And then are they still doing it now? It wouldn't even be that hard to do because of their black budget. Their budget is not approved by anything more than a small committee in the Congress that they meet in secret and in private. They have a lot of money that they've had from the drug trade over the years that we talked about in our previous you know, discussion. So they have all these private sources of funding. They can do anything they want. This wouldn't even be that hard to do. They could use a surface-to-air missile. They could use a drone, a bomb. This could be done in a of hours if they wanted to. In fact, the airfield that he took off from security there. There was security guards, nothing. Uh, they could just land a plane there, and that's it, and leave. There was no security guards, no police force, nothing. So easily could be tampered with if they wanted to. Yeah. I'm just wondering, but within the administration part, the, the upper, t upper tier, the people that actually, do you think it's just a small within group of the CIA, or is it the whole CIA? I think it might just be a few key people that wanted to do this. And a number of the people in the late 90s were still alive that were around when the Kennedy assassination had taken place. And even Cord Meyer was still alive, who E. Howard Hunt, E. Howard Hunt was still alive in the late 1990s. A lot of these key people that from the agency that were part of the plan, the JFK assassination, were still alive and well. Even George H.W. Bush, he, of course, is still alive. So is this 
going to be what they'll continue to do. I don't know. But again, what I'm trying to do here is, as I said, reverse engineer the crime scene. The Navy wise the public about the rescue beacon. There is evidence of an explosion. He calls an air traffic control one minute before the explosion. He's not suffering from disorientation. He's a good pilot. I mean, if you have all these facts, then you must conclude that there was a crime here, just looking at it logically, like Sherlock Holmes would do. So, so now, do any of his family um, have made any comments toward his death that you know of? Not that I know of. I mean, that, that's the problem here. I mean, Ed Kennedy is dead. I mean, you have, I mean, the problem with him is he had no children that could advocate for him. So all we really have is Caroline. I mean, she's still alive. And we have this, the children of Robert Kennedy. They're still alive. So there are a few members of the family that, that could advocate for this. And one key problem that we have is the bodies were cremated. So we have a hard time just going back to the crime scene with the evidence. And the autopsy report we do have, and I did mention that his autopsy sketch is very strange. It has these dotted lines across his midsection, but his body was blown to bits. And it has the same markings on his arms, too. Like, it was all in pieces, not crunched up together in one spot, like you would expect if it was just down in the circle into the earth, into the ground, into the sea, I should say. So it's very strange how all that plays out. Wow. Interesting case. So so what do you got planned next then? A after this, uh, do, you, do you plan on, uh, do you have another big project lined up for next year? Well, right now, I just want to kind of focus all my efforts on this. I mean, yeah. This is, um, I have some other ideas kind of thrown about in my, you know, in my future plans, but the book just kind of came out and I'm hoping that I can do all I can to keep talking about this and show people that there's questions that need to be asked. So they're ready for next July when we're going to be bombarded with information about this accident and be ready to answer the questions about what I think the book will do. It will serve that purpose. If you get the book, you can read the evidence in there, how I investigated everything, point by point, and use it with your family and friends to remember this man's legacy and not be misinformed by our media that he somehow crashed and killed his own family. This was not his fault. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, again, and now how do people get a hold of you now? You say people sometimes email you and give you information, or right. you have a website or something that uh, everyone should have. Mm -hmm. The easiest way to get a hold of me is the company website. It's called, again, paranormalwalks.com. So, again, paranormalwalks.com. And that website, with all my, you know, uh, the section of my books. So, if you go to the website, again, it's, I guess, you know, it's not Paranormal Walks. Yeah, Paranormal Walks. And we're going to have it up on our website under the uh, guest page under your name. So people, if you do forget it, click there. And yeah. also the books are available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble, too. Excellent, excellent. And we'll have that posted as well. 
Well, it's been very interesting. Always good talking to you, and uh, maybe you'll come back and talk to the paranormal gang one night. Um, we have a medium that does uh, Friday nights, so you might like to talk. Oh, that'll be fun, yeah. Yeah, she's, uh, you never know. You might connect somehow. <laughs> You're right, that'll be cool. We have a lot of uh, cool ghost stories and pictures and things we've got over the course of the on the walks. Oh, I bet you it would be good. Well, again, our guest has been John Corner. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks, Al. Be safe. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.